0: Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So what are we talking about today?
1: Today we're talking about unsupervised learning and an algorithm that I have come to know and love called T-SNE. Ooh, T-SNE. T-SNE. God bless you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, so let's talk about T-SNE in a second. Uh, But first, let's kind of talk about the problem and why you need it. Or at least not why everyone needs it, but why you need it in the in the job that you do every day.
1: Oh yeah, so I've been working a lot lately on unsupervised learning. Uh, so a lot of the stuff we talk about in this uh, podcast is examples of supervised learning, where you have data sets where you have like the right answers, and you can use that to guide what your guide your algorithms and the way that you make sure that you're on the right track and all of these sorts of things. With unsupervised learning, you do not have the luxury of correct answers. So you have to ask a slightly different question, which is kind of like, is there useful structure in this data that I can try to take advantage of? And very often, this takes the form of trying to find clusters within the data. So these are sort of little uh, subsets of the data where those points are kind of like closely grouped together together. And are also sort of far away from the other groups, and so they're you know form these little like coherent blobs that might be kind of interesting and start to tell you something about like I said the substructure of the data. So the idea of clustering kind of
0: makes sense to me. You've got this cluster of data uh, of data points over here and a cluster of data points over here, and you want to take those individual data points and reduce them down into two data points rather than let's say a thousand data points which are clustered in two big clusters. Uh, do you have an example that applies kind of to this situation of of clustering?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the data set that I found really useful as a sanity check when I was working on this was the MNIST digits data set. Are you familiar with this data set?
0: Uh, no, MNIST digits?
1: MNIST digits data set. This is kind of like the hello world of, of machine learning. Um, it's this very famous data set of handwritten digits, like Numbers, and the problem is basically: can you identify what number each one of these pictures is?
0: Oh, got so, it.
1: So each of the pictures is sort of like pixelated, and you you have the pixels that's your feature vector, and then it also comes with uh, labels attached. But what I was doing and um, found really helpful is you can just throw away the labels and then treat it like a an unlabeled, you know, unsupervised type. Um, situation. And so in that case, you know that there's 10 digits because that's just how many digits there are in like Arabic numeric system. Mm -hmm. And so you would expect that then when you run clustering on that, you would get something. The clustering that you find is going to reflect kind of like the structure of the fact that there's 10 distinct uh, digits in your data set.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So you've got all of these data points and in this case, you know that they can only be one of 10 different things. And that's the structure in the data set, the knowledge that each one of these points belongs in one of these 10 buckets.
1: Sure. Yeah. And so to think of it as something like dimensionality reduction, maybe when you're doing clustering is is I took these uh, these pictures that had hundreds of pixels in them, and then I've collapsed them down just to a single number, which is their the cluster that they belong to, and that that's... Effectively telling me the same information as like the whole big long feature vector So you can think of it as a, as a dimensionality reduction technique in, in that way. Yeah And also it, it
0: should be noted that using this data set to do this I mean it seems like okay now you've done the dimensionality reduction now you have your answer uh, But in other situations you want to do dimensionality reduction so that way you can more easily find the answer
1: that's true. Yeah, you can use clustering as like almost like a pre-processing step. Um, mm-hmm. Very often, yeah, you, you might also just have a data set and you're trying to come up with a way of partitioning it into kind of useful pieces. And then clustering is is probably one of the best tools that you have for that. So one of the things that can be really tricky about clustering, though, is that Um, We'll take the example of the digits, actually. So one of the things that's really hard about clustering the digits is that each of these pictures has several hundred dimensions in it. So the ones that I was, the version of the data set I was using, it was a 400 dimensional vector. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried to visualize something in 400 dimensions.
0: (laughs) No, I've actually, I've really, really, really tried to visualize something in four dimensions. And uh, nope, <laughs> it didn't yeah. get there.
1: Yeah, that is that is a recipe for just not making your brain much explodes <laughs> or you <laughs>
0: just stop trying.
1: Yeah. So, um, and also, maybe even just as importantly, uh, a lot of these clustering algorithms don't generally like do super well at at finding clusters when you're in extremely high dimensionality because it's it's trying to find the distances between these points, and these distances become You know, the points get kind of like naturally spread out a lot when you Mm -hmm. go into high dimensionality. This is a version of the curse of dimensionality that sometimes you hear about in machine learning. So dimensionality reduction is really something that you kind of need for a lot of these types of problems to get them kind of under control. When I think of dimensionality reduction, usually the first thing that I think of is principal components analysis or, or PCA. Do you remember when we talked about this? Vaguely. Yeah, so we talked about it in the context of facial recognition. That was the Uh Eigenfaces and Fisherfaces episode from a year ago. Um, (laughs) Has it
0: been that long? Wow.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. And PCA, the idea of PCA is it's an algorithm that if I think of my data as a Gaussian blob, PCA is going to pick out sort of the long direction of that Gaussian blob and it's going to project everything down onto that dimension. Then it'll pick out, you know, the next longest dimension... Um, that's orthogonal to the one that I've already picked out and then project it down along that one. And so what it's basically doing is it's a, it's a way of projecting down the, the data into a lower dimensional space while trying to keep as much of the, the variance and sort of like the large scale spread between the points um, as possible. And mm-hmm. that can work really well in certain contexts, It is not very good for clustering because what PCA tends to do is if I have a data set that had structure in it sort of in my original high dimensional space, like the digits data set, PCA tends to kind of wash out that structure. Everything gets smeared together and it becomes really difficult for you then to um, find what sort of like the well-defined clusters in your data were. Like even if they were there originally, PCA tends to wash them out. So, so the high-level
0: problem that you're dealing with is that you've got these two methods that you want to use, PC and clustering, and neither of them works very well with each other.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it.
0: How how do you solve something like that? So this, do you just kind of like t- keep tweaking the knobs until those negative effects aren't too bad, or?
1: Uh, I mean, I maybe somebody has the patience for that, but I think that like fundamentally, <laughs> these algorithms just are kind of pulling in opposite directions and there's there's okay. never going to be a way to reconcile that not really. Um, so this is where t-sne comes in. So t-sne is a relatively uh, yeah. yeah, so t-sne's a relatively new algorithm. Um, I think all the references I've seen for it are within the last 5 years or so. T stands for or t-sne stands for t distributed stochastic neighbors embedding. The T distributed part is something that we've actually talked about before. This is the student's T distribution that we talked about from the Guinness episode. And so this is a a T distribution is kind of like, it's like a Gaussian, but with fatter tails. Basically, it's a, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a certain type of distribution that you do when you have sort of like low statistics. And that has to do with the reason that it's called the the T-distributed Stochastic Neighbors Embedding has to do with some of the details of the way that the algorithm is implemented. But basically, the idea of T-SNE is that it's a dimensionality reduction tool that is specifically designed to preserve the local structure of the data. And so by that, what I mean is that points that were close together or relatively close together in my original 400-dimensional, you know, impossible-to-visualize space Will also be close together in my, you know, very easy to visualize two-dimensional space that I get after I've done a t-SNE transform, uh, and t-SNE is specifically designed, like I said, to sort of make it so that the clusters that existed in the high-dimensional space are still there in the low-dimensional space, and so it's a much nicer tool for um, going down to that lower dimensionality to do, you know, sort of some more straightforward clustering and certainly for visualization as well. So, so once you put your data
0: through this, um, I, I guess I'm kind of curious what problems you could run into, like just on a, a general level. And also, what does the visualization actually look like at the end of the day? Because oh, yeah. if you've got these, this, this 400 dimensional data set and you're effectively reducing those dimensions, not by throwing any dimensions away, but by transforming that entire space and and removing dimension after dimension until you get it to something that you can visualize. Like, what does that actually look
1: like? Sure, yeah. So let me, I'll answer your second question, and that actually kind of leads me into something, uh, your first question, you know, what are some of the challenges? Right. So T-SNE, after you've done a T-SNE transform of the digits data set, what you see is something that looks – it It reminds me kind of of a map of a different planet than ours, but one where there's still like kind of the continent shapes um, and the land masses and stuff. And so you have like these kind of big blobs that are fairly well separated from each other, but occasionally you get little like strings of points that end up connecting them a mm-hmm. little bit. And so you, you, you are maintaining though definitely the – idea that there's like distinct clusters of data that you had originally and now they've sort of maintained themselves down into the lower dimensional space so then you you see this and you see these 10
0: roughly 10 separated blobs like what do you what do you do from there are you just like okay there are 10 things i'm done or or can you like take that visualization and do something with it itself or does it help you inform it does help it to inform you in terms of what choices you'll make on what to do the data with the data next.
1: I found it really informative, actually. So sometimes you can just go ahead and like you really should probably only use it as a visualization tool, but I would sometimes cheat a little bit and then just run clustering in that, you know, two dimensional space. But I the thing that I found it really useful for is that you're usually like the digits data set is a really contrived example. Because we kind of like know what the right answer is, and we know that there's structure in this data set,
0: which in a way makes it useful to use to try to figure out what's going on with with an algorithm. Or oh, something.
1: absolutely, yeah, yeah. And that was that was sort of like the idea all along, right? But usually, that's not the world that you live in. Um, you know, you might be clustering, like you have a bunch of you're doing I don't know some market research, and you have a bunch of customers, and you're trying to figure out if there's substructure within. Uh, you know certain pockets within your your customer list that you should be thinking about in a distinct way or whatever, but that's not necessarily something that you know before you've started, right? Like the whole point of the analysis is you're trying to figure out if that's even the case in the first place. Hmm. And so, t-SNE, even if you're not uh, using it directly to like form your clusters, just being able to visualize your data and to see if it's making kind of distinct pockets or if everything kind of ends up in a blob sort of more or less on top of itself that can be extremely helpful cuz it just helps you get a first like grasp on whether what you're doing what whether you should really expect to have like nice clusters coming out of this or or if you're just kind of in a place where everything's all in a blob together which is very often the case um at least for like some of the use cases i was i was using it for was just we were just trying to understand like is this data that has structure? Like forget almost like about finding the structure, like just is it there in the first place? Mm, Um, Which is a really hard question to answer. So so T-SNE is really good for helping, at at least for me, just giving me like a gut check on whether my data was even going to cluster nicely to begin with. But one of the things that can be tricky about working with T-SNE is um, the S in T-SNE stands for stochastic, which means sort of like having some randomness to it. And because of some details of the way that the algorithm is, um, you know, running under the hood, what you can get when you're running T-SNE is that um, you can run T-SNE ten different times with ten different sort of random seeds, and you're going to get ten kind of different answers off so it, of the same data. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Wow!
1: So you keep the clusters. The clusters stay together. But the shapes of the clusters can kind of morph around and the relative orientations of the clusters can also move around. So it's not, you know, you want to be a little bit careful about drawing too many conclusions from what you see in t because, um, you know, chances are if you were to run it again, you might not see exactly the same thing. Um, so that was something that had, you know... I didn't completely realize that, uh, at first. And, you know, there (laughs) were something you want to know. (laughs) There were a few runs. Yeah. Where, where I would run it and then I'd be like, okay. And I would run it again and I would get a completely different answer. Um, it took me a little while to, uh, understand why. And and as soon as you understand why it makes a lot of sense, but you know, these are just the things that you don't realize necessarily when you start working with some of these things. Mm -hmm. Um, so that could be a little bit, a little bit tricky to deal with. You have to be fairly careful about setting random seeds and and knowing how to like compare the answers that you get from from two different versions of these um of these analyses because a lot of times you're kind of like playing around the, with the analysis, you're trying to see if it's getting better or not, and it can be kind of tricky to compare them because it's it's just always kind of moving around a little bit anyway. One more thing I should add. I found tsne to be fairly computationally expensive. And I was using the scikit-learn implementation of it, which has a, a nice speed-up as of a month or so ago. Um, the new version of scikit-learn has the Barnes-Hut approximation, which is, for technical reasons, makes it run a lot faster. But t is also the kind of thing where if I was running it on more than you know, a few thousand data points, I would usually like set it to go and then go get a cup of coffee, um, which is just <laughs> very like practical concern on my end. But...
0: You know, Katie, um, yeah. so I used to do a good amount of video editing mm-hmm. and that was always so wonderful. This is, this is years and years ago and the computers were a lot slower. And so... Um, it was always so nice to you know go and get a cup of coffee and someone's like wait shouldn't you be working oh i am re- i i'm working it's rendering i just i can't help but get a cup of coffee right now
1: it's like that XKCD where they're playing sword fighting on their rolly chairs and the person uh, yeah. walks into the lab and is like are not you supposed to be working and they're like our code is compiling he's like all right carry on yeah no <laughs> it's 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 totally like the, the uh machine learning version of
0: you can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.